Are you a small business owner or someone who has a real interest in building your own brand? Then deep dive into the UP Consulting Group's Business Building Bootcamp, the annual convention and training camp for entrepreneurial spirits. Join us this March 5 and 6 to discover how you can unlock your business potential. Based on the Youngblood column of the Philippine Daily Inquirer, this is the Youngblood Podcast. Stories written by the Filipino youth that inform, empower, and inspire. I'm Matthew Balbin, your co-host for today. I'm a lecturer at Eastern Samar State University. I'm a recent addition to the TYBP team, and to be honest, each moment with them felt so empowering, knowing that I'm working with brilliant and dedicated youth leaders who share the same vision as I have. I'm lucky enough to have served as one of the timekeepers and caretakers of the National Writers Conference, one of the major highlights of this year's success. And today, we're having a piece of writing I'm sure a lot of us would share sentiments on. Imagine yourself seeing your hometown slowly surrendering to change, brought about by modernity and the political powers that be, and your sweet childhood experiences turning further to memory. How would you feel about this? For his hometown, Los Baños, Here's Linus Van Plata's riveting essay called, Don't Mess Up LB. Don't Mess Up LB by Linus Plata I was born in Los Baños. My birth certificate says it all started at 12.57 a.m. on November 14, 1989, in one of the rooms of my granny's place on Bangkal Street. My dad told me more than once that he used to take me to the shore of Laguna Lake, which is still part of the town, before dawn, when I was a baby, so I could take in the breeze which is believed to reinvigorate a young soul. Growing up in Los Baños meant being raised in simplicity. As a child, I ran errands for my mom, going out to a retail store to buy a kilo of rice or shampoo or what have you. On weekends, my family would walk to my aunt's place and sleep over. That street is called Daang Kalabao, and indeed, we passed through a grassland with carabaos grazing. On weekdays, I would excitedly walk back home from school to watch my favorite anime. I didn't necessarily like being outdoors, however, because I was, and am still, a TV person and a bookworm. But when two malls rose, followed by the mushrooming of a second-hand clothes and discount stores. Walking around Los Baños appealed to me more. During such times, 
which was about a decade ago. Whether I had to cross the main roads downtown, I would first glance around the establishments, the people, and the chimneys, and appreciate how my town maintained its simplicity and quaintness, despite having embraced some modern changes. Back then, I felt the peace in my town even if I knew some parts of it were drug-infested, and even if I could see a lot of paupers. Even if I sensed that the people of Los Baños, despite being considered a first-class urban municipality, still represented the everyman, or every woman, of this country. One who only wants a decent life but is constrained and subjugated by oppressive and dominant institutions, roles, structures, and norms, physical and spiritual. I thought the town was rife with potential and hope. I came back to the town in 2006 after a year-long exchange student program in Japan and entered the University of the Philippines in Los Baños a year later. Overall, the town was no different, except for the sprouting of coffee houses, night spots, and this complex of bars and food establishments called LB Square. I had heard of altercations in these areas. If true, one can only hope the incidents had been settled. Then Anthony Ganino came into the picture. He ran in the 2010 mayoral elections, eliciting some controversy. Brickbats were hurled at him, such as doubts on his being a bona fide Los Banos resident. His rumored motive of merely looting the town and the alleged diversion of public funds for the Philippine Amusement and Gaming Corporation formerly chaired by his father, Ephraim, to the Guinino-owned Trace College, which is also in Los Baños, ten years after the then computer school was founded by Ephraim Guinino, Trace College hosted the aquatic events in the 2005 Southeast Asian Games with its Olympic-sized swimming pool. Many townsfolk didn't like the way Guinino ran his electoral campaign. His group doled out apples, rice, and clothes to residents and reportedly gave away 500 uh, peso bills in the village of Mayondon. My granny told me that when she and other senior citizens attended one of Guinino's campaign gatherings, they were made to stand up and pledged their votes to him. She even received a chocolate cake from the candidate on her birthday. Genino won the mayoral post. The truth is that the mayor and I know each other, as I have hosted the Miss Los Banos pageant thrice. I once asked him about his plans to improve the education, livelihood, and health of the, of the townsfolk and egged him to deliver on these effectively. He came up with an answer for each of the three sectors, 
and one could only hope that he would walk the talk. But about two years have passed, and the last thing you do to your people is to make them wait. Today, about 100 lampposts line the road leading to the UPLB campus, beaming, beaming pink light at nighttime. An inquirer columnist claims the lampposts were installed by PAGCOR workers on election day itself. Also, a huge commercial complex on the same road, called LB Centro, is under construction. By the standards of Western modernity, these projects ought to sound truly promising. I look at these projects and I'm frankly puzzled as to how this evolving face of Los Banos and its controversial dynamics would actually benefit its people, my own people, especially in the, lo in the long run. For starters, are the fundamental needs of an ordinary Los Banos citizen being met by the local government? Then the murders. The list did not start with given grace Sebanico, a 19-year-old UPLB computer science student who was raped and murdered on the dark and grassy road of the Institute of Plant Breeding on campus on October 11, 2011. Three months later, Bradley Inway, 16, and Gilbert de Ocampo, 23, were found dead, merely 50 meters from where Sibanico's body would be discovered. Last February 29, 14-year-old Rochelle Geronda of Los Banos National High School was raped and kill, killed nearly a junkyard in De Marces subdivision. As I was writing this in the morning of March 4, I had just heard that UPLB agri agricultural student Ray Bernard Peñaranda, 19, was knifed to death hours ago after being held up on F.O. Santos Street, Umali subdivision. The culprit got away with nothing. And as if these murders in the town were not enough for a week, a 32-year-old resident of Batong Malake was stabbed to death by his elder brother after a row behind the Los Banos Doctors' Hospital. This occurred at 4.30 p.m. on the same day Peñaranda was killed. Public anger at the state of Los Banos is all over the social media. UPLB students, in particular, are aghast at the Ganino administration's inability to provide effective and consistent security measures on campus and outside. With the killings serving as a last straw in the accumulating discontent with the mayor, local residents may well be screaming in thought or in speech, Tama na! Sobra na! Malita na! Hell hath no fury like the people denied principled leadership, and hell hath no fury like a people deprived of a decent Los Banos. Indeed, 
I claim a decent town. I claim its simple and quaint aspects, which have marked my life from the get-go. I claim its responsible, sustainable, and equitable progress. Just last year, I returned to the shore of Laguna Lake, where my father used to take me as a baby. It was midnight, and no one else was there. I stood in darkness and quietude, listening to the waves lapping at the shore, enjoying the breeze. Early last Christmas day, instead of staying in bed longer, I decided to get some air. I took a bicycle ride to Daang Kalabao. The Carabaos and their grassland have been replaced by fancy houses and apartments, but the cool air and the quiet were still there. This is a town that carries a legacy of decency. This is a town you don't just mess up. Linus's essay was published on March 15, 2012. For today's podcast, he'll elaborate more on his reflections on Los Baños and the impact of these changes on him and on the people. And welcome to another episode of the Young Blood Podcast. For today, category is polo shirts, <laughs> collared shirts, cotton shirts. <laughs> and with me now is the author of Don't Mess Up LB, Linus. Hey, Josh. Welcome to the show. Yeah, how are you doing? Thanks for inviting me. And to those who are uh, to our audience, hello, hello there. Linus, how has your day been going ba, so far? Oh, well, uh, this morning I had, I had classes. Uh, I'm a professor. I teach communication at UP Los Baños at the Department of Humanities. Um, so that was great. I had my students actually report on their favorite advertisements of all time and explain uh, these commercials from a rhetorical point of view. Like, what made these uh, commercials work in terms of Aristotle's ethos, pathos, logos? I mean, appeals to emotion, logic, and credibility. So that was a fun morning. Not much activity because of COVID. Then I took some rest and prepared for this. Yeah. That's great. Speaking of you ask your students what's their favorite advertisement is, let me ask you that question since it's already out of the bag. <laughs> it's better address it. What's your favorite advertisement of all time? You know, that's that, that's tricky. But you know what? Uh, well, my memory's very bad. But thanks to my classes earlier, I was reminded of some of the, the really best ones. And one of them was this fast food commercial, uh, which came out years ago when I was growing up, when I was in my teenage years, I think. Uh, the setting was, it was a conversation at one uh, at a table, fast food table, between a grandfather and, and her granddaughter. And do you know the Gina and Karen uh, commercial? Gina? So, but apparent Gina, Gina, Gina and Karen. Apparently, the oh. uh, grandfather's a little freaking... Oh, oh, I know that, I know that, I know that. Some... Uh, he, he was forgetful, but he couldn't recognize uh, who's who in his family. So he was seated across uh, Karen, actually, one of the mm-hmm. granddaughters. And then uh, the father kept, uh, the grandfather kept saying, Gina, Gina. And then uh, Karen kept correcting him, Karen Po, Karen Po, Karen Po. And then, uh, the, well, spoiler alert for something that came out more than a decade ago, maybe two decades ago. <laughs> Tito uh, alert. He sliced the the burger uh, into uh, into two, and then said that he's setting aside 
one, uh, the, uh, the other half for his favorite granddaughter who happens to Karen. be not Gina but Karen. Yeah. I know that, that commercial. <laughs> that was that was so Speak cute. Yeah. That's nice when like advertisements, you know, they get the heart like they touch you like oh yeah. but and then you suddenly forget it's a of product course. advertisement yes uh for uh food that is totally unhealthy and something <laughs> that is tantamount to junk food to be honest with you thank goodness i didn't name the uh the other company the fast food chain for fear that they might sue me but you know uh, i was almost about to say the name like, then. yeah what's well, a young blood conversation it's about i mean i guess uh people uh most people are tuning in to, to this conversation are young people, you know, yeah, you can have us. I mean, once in a while, you can have fast food, but yeah. Wag araw araw it doesn't beat it. Yeah. It's still the healthy stuff. Yeah. Go to the healthy stuff. Go to the healthy stuff. They taste good, no, di ba? <laughs> it's it's, anyway, it's not really yeah. that healthy. Yeah. <laughs> now, you said that you are a professor at a university, yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, it's in Los Banos, right? Yeah, that's where I am. Well, based on your title, it actually looks like a pun. It's a double meaning, like don't mess up LB. But when you read it again, don't mess UPLB. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, I never saw it that way, though. Okay, so thanks for reading into it too much. Uh, it, that's interesting, yeah. I just read it, I reread it now, and I just realized, hey, it looks like don't mess UPLB. But yeah. in reality, it's don't mess up LB. <laughs> which, so, is, which is a yeah. good trick when you think of it for writers. Though to your point, Josh, I mean, I don't want people messing UPLB either. So, sure. <laughs> I'm going to count that yeah. as a correct interpretation of my title. <laughs> Take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, speaking of your essay, let me just... I know what's going on in everybody's minds right now. What inspired you to write this essay? Or what's your Youngblood story? Oh, wow. Um, it, um, this came out in 2012, if I'm not mistaken. The final year of my college life. I was about to graduate. Actually, uh, just a month before, I marched. I marched on stage uh, and, you know, to get my diploma. And, uh, but at that, it was a tricky political and social moment in my town's history. Because the series of rapes and murders really uh, took its toll on everybody, really shocked, not just, I guess, not just citizens of Espanos, but uh, people in the country and, you know, in the world who, 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 who got wind of these gruesome incidents. So I felt enraged. I thought I had to do something as, and as someone who, who believed I could right? Uh, you know, I thought I could put something together. This actually originated as a Facebook post, right? And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to refine it and uh, send it over to Youngblood. Maybe, maybe it could get picked up because, not because I wanted to be, you know, not because, I, not just because I, uh, I wanted to be published in Youngblood, but in the Inquirer, for that matter, and have my own thought piece sit alongside my writing hero, Conrado de Quiros, who unfortunately tragically is no longer writing right now, but we need him, especially in these times. All I'm saying is I had to write it. I had to say something. It, it, it was a moral, it felt like a moral duty to do so. 
you so basically it was a Facebook post like you know you just had to let it out it was bugging you it was bugging your conscience and you decided to refine it how did you actually do that like originally like going back you said that your memory is kind of bad but what was the original Facebook post it's uh, I'm, I can uh, pin down exactly uh, how many years uh, ago was that, right? Uh, 2012, 20... Oh, isn't it like exactly a decade ago? I mean, come next year. But anyway... Going more than a decade. More than 2012, 20... oh, right. Like going right. at least a decade na pala. Yeah. Um, how did it... Like, how did it metamorphose from a Facebook post into uh, a, a national, a nationally read article? It started as a Facebook post, and uh, I really forgot what I, I mean, how I, I don't think much has changed, uh, much differs from the original Facebook post version. I, I don't think much has changed. Uh, I just really wanted it to be, I mean, to have more readership because it, it was such a critical point in our town's history, as I noted earlier. So I'm not sure about the difference. I don't think there's much difference between the original and the and and the version that I sent over to your editors, in, you know, at that time. So I, it would have been a very long post, <laughs> in other words. Well, I, 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 my friends usually accuse me of have of making long posts. So yeah, I'm used to that. <laughs> it's kind of your, you know, your trademark. <laughs> right? Yeah, but it's difficult. I mean, because I'm loquacious uh, by nature. I, you know, I talk a lot, and if I talk a lot, then somehow. Not surprising. I write a, I write a lot. Uh, like I write long stuff. Um, I try to write uh, you know, as concise as possible, but with something as big as you know the rape slaves in, in 2011, 2012, you know, got to write something at length. But yeah, it was something like that. <laughs> Going back there, it was a long time ago. Did you? Looking back at it now, like rereading it, like it was published in 2012, right? It was published in 2012. So basically, it's going, come next year, it's going to be a decade now, which is happy birthday <laughs> to, you know, to your essay. Did you have that cringe experience? Like when you reread it, you were like, did I write, did I really write this? Something like that. Have, did you experience that? Okay, so when I, uh, because you guys started bringing back uh, these old young blood, young blood uh, essays to the limelight, uh, <laughs> to present consciousness, and uh, I, I was surprised because one of my uh, UP org, UP organization uh, broads, sent me a copy of my, you know, a copy of my essay, uh, "Don't Mess Up LB," in a different format, in a different design. And then, so I was reading it, and then you guys uh, came to me. I, I kept reading it. And uh, were there cringy moments? Absolutely, <laughs> yes. In terms of both the substance and the writing style. Is there anything you would change it back? Like, since you know you cringed a bit, would you change anything now with that okay. essay? Uh, that's a very important question. Uh, Yes, obviously, stylistically, yes. I would have held myself back a little. Uh, not, <laughs> Chill. Just to not sound uh, too dramatic, sensational. Uh, there was a Tagalog expression that I used in, in the piece, which I wish I, I didn't have to write because it's too much. 
uh, the quotation. That, that yeah, the quotation. Uh, they, they, if, if they're interested, they, they may want to check that out. And um, but you know what, you know what, Josh? I you know, ten years later, fast forward to the present. I, I just don't want to be hard on myself. And while I while there were absolutely some cringy moments, cringy parts of, of how I wrote it, you know, I'm proud that I took a stand at the end of the day. And that was, because here's the thing, that was the best that I could do it at that time, in that particular context, circumstances, whatever. Uh, that, that, that's, that's my best foot, for, foot forward, okay? Uh, so no, there's no more value in looking back and, you know, uh, hoping that some things would have changed in terms of how I wrote it, choice of words, the tone even. But that's a style, right? In terms of the substance, okay, now I'm really thinking whether I should have written it considering the fact that the the object of my essay, who's uh, the leadership at that time, is now my friend again. But, yeah, right. Not, not friendly, friend, that- but you know what? Like, we're okay again. You're at peace. And I'd rather that we, we, we stay, that we... I'd rather that we are friends again than otherwise. Because I'm a pretty peaceful person. This coming out and, you know, him uh, catching wind of this uh, piece that I wrote, getting resurrected again, and, you know, possibly hurting his chances next year. Because I think it's running again. So, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but you know, if I have a message to him, uh, this... Um, it's really awkward, right, Josh, to, to be able to articulate these things because there are political and social implications to, to mm-hmm. what before, and there are also political social implications of uh, the idea of bringing it back uh, today, right? Uh, yeah. Do you have good. any regrets, Pa? Do you have any regrets <laughs> of writing this? I just want to ask that question. <laughs> Since you said that it resulted into you know a bit of coldness in the past but yeah. everything's fine now right so yeah. do you have any regrets pa, in writing this yeah that's that's another good question uh it's yeah I, i'm not gonna use the word regret because on my deathbed that would be one of i think i suspect that on my deathbed that would be one of my proudest accomplishments that as a college student i had written something that really challenged the most powerful person in his town at that time. Yeah, it, it really it, it took some guts to do that, right? But then again, I'm a gutsy person. And it's not like I, I mean, this person was a stranger to me. He was a friend. And uh, so, so uh, am I going to use regret? Not really, but... I guess the word is I'm, I'm ambivalent. About, I have I have some ambivalence about 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 the, the essay, yeah, about my decision to write it, because I guess there's an upside and a downside to it. So I don't regret having written it. In fact, I'm I should be proud of it because it reflects my idealism as a as a, as a student, as a college student, as a scholar para sabayan uh, who's supposed to stand up for what is right and use my platform and my talent of writing, uh, amateur writing, uh, to actually speak on behalf of my fellow citizens who thought and felt the same way at that time. 
which was there was something wrong about what's going on about the rape and the murder the rape uh, and the murder of UPLB students and you know I think uh, a couple of more young people there's something wrong about that and how it was and, and, and the relationship between those incidents and the political climate at that time basically it's more of a gray area like yeah there's some things you would have changed but you know this is a part of growing like we realize our mistakes later on but it you know we apply it later on in our lives and yeah it's part of maturity <laughs> yeah but, but josh uh i i want to point something out um and i'm sure we have uh, a lot of our you know listeners viewers right now are young people uh, uh young writers maybe some was uh, people who aspire to be writers and the thing is the things i'll because i'll be i'll be writing books in the future and i'm working on one and yes my so. phd that's my phd because you're my district I'm, I'm a phd student in creative writing at up Diliman, and uh our dissertation is a, is is a book length work okay and it's a memoir okay i hope people read, get to read that and what i'll be writing also is something that i would have ambivalence about not not necessarily regrets okay so what the the the, the subjects the themes the topics that i'll be writing about are not going to please everybody anyway because I'll, I'll be touching on things like religion for instance and i come from a, a highly conservative family and now that my thinking and philosophy has become more secular uh the the book the book or books that will be coming out will, will not make a lot of people even in my family very happy so i'm already making that projection and, and so i guess that's what okay so this is a young blood podcast so i work i i thought it so yeah, it's only appropriate to touch on you know the biggest themes of the writer's life, even the young writer's life. Which is let's not expect that it's going that what we'll be writing down will please everybody. I think we should always not be surprised about the cost of our works. There is always a True. cost, and I think the higher the cost, the higher the reward. Because if if your work doesn't have, uh, if your work doesn't cause waves, it doesn't raise people's eyebrows, it doesn't piss some people off, then I guess there's something wrong with. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe your your maybe what you're working on is still tepid, lukewarm, and it's not you know, hot enough. Right? It's not impactful enough. So for it to have an impact, it should really get other people's attention. So I think that's one theme, no, Josh, of, of the writer's life. Expect the cost. And that should be okay as long as what you'll be writing is a reflection of who you are and what you stand for and really the, the, the accurate contents of your thoughts, of, of your mind. The accurate contents of your mind and your heart. Basically, it's all about balance, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, try to strike It's about that understanding balance. variety. Yeah, try to diversity. That balance and, but but also try not to temper your writing, the truth of your writing. Don't try to temper it, don't try to dilute it, don't try to dampen it. Uh, because if you do, then it won't have the impact that you wish it would have on other people. That's something I realized just now that before I was writing for my publication, they would give us topics that we 
we're going to write about. I tried my best to like make it seem so political and so high intellect that even I couldn't understand it at all. So like I was cringing at the fact I submitted this like what what the hey I <laughs> this is not my work. So I tried to take on a different attack just you know just be me just give out what's in my mind just let out what's on my heart using my mind my creative mind and eventually they liked it. So that's that there's a living proof. Write what your heart says, but use your mind in deciding how you will deliver it. And, and you know, and you know, Josh, what the result of that is by trying, by, by striving to actually capture the true contents of your heart through words. What results from that is your voice, the writer's voice. Only writers will get to understand that in reality, right? Only, tr- only writers will get to know that meaning. Now, you mentioned a while ago some, I, well, I, I mentioned something a while ago about, you know, maturity and, you know, changing. And, you know, this experience has molded you very obviously. But looking back at it now, your point of view before and your point of view now, has your point of view regarding this topic that you discussed in the essay, has it changed ba, over the years? Mm, that's, a, that's a very important question, though. Uh, but there's there's there, there's got to be some change uh, because people evolve, uh, especially in the span of a decade. I guess if there's one change, I would have been. I'm not gonna say I'm, I'm now less idealistic, but I'm now more realistic. So when I was in UP, and when I was writing that piece, I thought no one could hold me back. This is what I really felt. This is what's right. But at the same time. What I didn't take into consideration is the uh, well in political science the real politique, right? The real politics of, of things, which is I was too idealistic before that I guess I, I put too much uh, blame on the you know the leadership <laughs> the, the leadership and and less on other forces, other factors, like social factors, cultural factors that might have played into this culture of tolerance that made possible these murders and you know rape uh, incidents. So, so I think the problem is we blame the, the government. Sometimes we blame the government too much, but of course, in this day and age, there's something to be <laughs> to, to be blamed on the government. But it's not the only explanation. I mean, it, it would be intellectually dishonest for us to just pin the blame on, on the government because reality or uh, reality is always a confluence of several factors. It's more complicated than it looks. And, and so if I would have approached my essay a decade ago differently, that is, okay, sure, I would I would keep my personal narrative there, you know, my childhood, how I grew up, uh, being a, a true blue Los Banos uh, denizen. But at the same time, I would try to also identify. I would make my explanations, my political analysis in my essay more nuanced. Okay, I think that's the word. And and as writers, as young blood writers, we have to strive to make our analysis more nuanced. And that will only happen if we if we are willing to to, to immerse in life and, and, and grow and, and learn and be open to other people's voices, open to to, to other perspectives different from us because the world, especially now that the world has become, you know, uh, 
separate silos, uh, the the groups to which people belong now have become echo chambers that whenever they hear something that is contrary to what they believe, they already dismiss it as false and fake news and ridiculous. That's not the case. That's not that that should not be the attitude for you know a, a, a young blood writer, a young writer who is going to make a difference with his or her words as a result of not dogmatic analysis, not ideal, purely ideological analysis, but you know, a nuanced observation of reality, if that makes sense. Yeah. And if the writing is still dramatic, it's not persuasive. It's not that persuasive. That, that's another key principle because I teach rhetoric. If it's too you know, emotional, if it's too sensational, it's not going to be very persuasive. Um, well, that, that applies to my, you know, to my article. I mean, and not to a political ad uh, whose, whose only appeal is to the emotions of, of people. Well, those kinds of ads work, unfortunately, in this in this kind of country, maybe in other places. But for that article, I think it would have been more convincing if I I held back the emotions a little bit and tried to be more. Was sober. that shade? That's the word sober. <laughs> Sober. Yeah. Was that shade you threw over there? <laughs> Did I just uh, see some shade in what you said? <laughs> it's, it's really a critic of how we're doing uh, electoral campaigns in the country because while there's this paper called Political Science Paper, a classic called The Poor Bobo is a thinking vote, uh, at the same time, the fact that these ads still work means that People are still receptive to appeal to emotion ads, and they still buy it. They still buy it. Yeah, but I don't completely blame people for buying uh, those appeals to emotion because, at the end of the day, it's part of our human nature uh, as emotional beings who respond to appeals to anger and the need for change. Uh, to anger and frustration, I get that, and and that's why we need you know young blood writers to actually spread awareness. Voters education is important. You know we are just a year away from from the election, so we've got to make you know informed choices. And you know the dream really is you know educate. We have a high literacy rate, but I hope that translates to the capacity to make informed choices when it comes to elections. At the same time. It's difficult also to blame the electorate if we don't have True. sufficient good choices to begin with. You know, Josh, I challenge all young blood young blood writers then and now. Let's all run for public office. <laughs> oh if no, not, that if not if not that next is year shady. soon. Yeah, yeah. No, that is shady right there. <laughs> yeah, and replace all of them, right? Let's do that. But I- <laughs> I hope this I makes promise, the edit. <laughs> this is so weird because uh, what's strange is that you know we're talking about maturity that you know our, we have, we have to hold back a little bit and take into account the political cost. And then here I am calling for a revolution among young blood writers. <laughs> I hope this makes the cut. <laughs> I <laughs> hope is, it does. This should make the cut, uh, Josh. It's it's very important because what you guys are doing in young blood is you are you are accommodating the best, some of the best ideas of some of the best young people in this country. And don't in we need, and out of the country. In and out of the country, yes. And, and don't we need 
such people to be the next in line to run public affairs, <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that a, a logical argument to make anyway? Yeah, it is. It's all run for public office. Yeah. Speaking of that, when you think of it, a lot of people actually have the capacity, they are able, and they can. It's just that they choose not to because they know that it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. It's a dog-eat-dog world. You need some, you will definitely need some big help, quote, big help to survive, especially with, you know, the, the situation here in the country. And what you said that, um, about the advertisement, <laughs> about the way adver- political advertisements run in our country, I was gagging at that fact because it is true. It is shady, yeah. but it's true. Yeah. So, and I totally agree with what you said. And this, I also like to say every time, use your craft as a way to educate and empower people. Like, like through this, we both are really good speakers. And I must say your voice is really great. And I know that you are a freelance host. (laughs) (laughs) See, like, you know, as communication majors, let's use what we're good at. Let's use our talking abilities, our communicating abilities to encourage people to, you know, register and vote really wisely to choose good decisions and to know just be aware of more advocacies and more issues that really need to be tackled right. yeah that's a yeah. challenge to young people out there use your craft as a voice that's the best thing you can do yes yes and, and josh if i can challenge uh, your team uh, at young blood uh, Hello? you can actually <laughs> you can actually organize uh past and present writers uh of young blood to actually work together organize for a voter education campaign through writing. That's First not a bad idea. Actually, yeah. That's not a bad idea. Especially, and I that, think... especially that you have elevated the Youngblood young platform, right? to, you know, I saw the website and you have these newsletters. Uh, no, you, you already have the, you have the influence. It is a brand. It, I mean, not, I don't mean in a corporate manner, right? It is a brand that, that, that has taken on such a force and a reputation that if we harness it to something that would help educate our voters, then I guess it's not a bad idea. Right. And you know what? These writers get to practice their and these young writers get to practice their writing, you know, the art. And at the same time, you know, you hitting a lot of birds with one stone. True. Now you mentioned that well I I mentioned about change, about much maturity and stuff. And in your essay, you mentioned a lot of problems right there, and we're, we're we are actually already talking about you know being good leaders, about how important it is to be you know choose wisely who we want to lead us into a better future and all that cliche dream. But we all want that stuff to happen. Now, are those problems that you mentioned there are they still existent now in you know in Los Banos? Because I'm not from there. <laughs> I really want to know. There's some progress and there's some, okay, some basic issues remain, okay? Well, shocker, but at the same time, you know what I'm really wishing is that more young people running for positions in my town. That I'm not seeing much. That has not changed, So, which means the trend has not changed. I mean, there's one or two people, uh, young people who would run, but let's say 
someone from Los Baños who studied at UP, educated with a BA sociology degree. I, I am yet to see someone with the idealism, with a, with a heart, with a competency, with a fresh perspective to actually bring something to the table. Uh, so in terms, because that's my priority, Josh. I, I want young blood to be infused into the local leadership here. I, I wish that happens. That hasn't, okay? Uh, so that's one. And the other issue actually, Josh, is our former mayor, this is another mayor, not the one that I wrote about in my Youngblood article. He was assassinated last year, December 2020, at the doorstep of the no less than the municipal office itself, okay? Assassinated, allegedly, in the name of the war on drugs. So he was in the he was on the narco list, this former mayor, but he denied it. Uh, there's no proof that he was really part of it. Uh, a lot of people believe that he, a lot of Los Banos people, and I, I think as someone from Los Banos, I, I can speak for them. Uh, he, a lot of people don't believe, don't buy the idea that he is directly linked to, you know, the drug industry. And this was a mayor who has been, who had been my mayor since when I was an elementary student and really worked hard, not perfect, very pragmatic, very, you know, roll up the sleeves type of guy would sometimes enforce hands on, very hands on, sometimes would do the traffic, sometimes would do, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, the fire thing, the fire. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, is that and and people miss his leadership. But you know, it's not a political discussion. But you know, we can't help but get political about you know things that matter to us. Uh, you know, as the feminists put it, the personal is the political. The personal being political. Going back to my young blood essay, I I, I wrote there about my childhood, uh, traversing the street called Dam Calabao. At that time, there were literally carabaos in in the in the early 90s, in, in the 90s. And that was political for me because the space where, I, where I'm from, i.e. Los Baños, it matters to me. And therefore, whatever happens there that impinges on the welfare of my own people, that also matters. So the personal, because the, this, is my, this is where my roots are. Whatever happens here matters to me. Whatever happens here, even in a public context, uh, it, it's an issue for me personally. So the personal is really the political also. Politics really has something to do a lot with how our problems in our country can be solved. I, I, so my philosophy is uh, I'm a pluralist person, which means no group, no, for example, no political party has the monopoly on what is right. And hence, I don't identify myself with a particular, let's say, with a particular religion, with a particular discourse, with a particular identity, with a particular, uh, what do you call that, uh, political affiliation. Because my mantra, my philosophy is, as long as, uh, as long as I find some merit, some validity, some wisdom, some beauty, some benefit in a particular group, in a particular belief, in a particular political party, in a particular political ideology, then why not? I will accommodate it. I'm a very fair person. 
So I'm not a dogmatic person. So when, when we talk about these political things, these, while we can help but throw, <laughs> well, conversations like this can't help but throw some shade at particular groups of people or groups, it's not, it's nothing personal. You know, it's, it, I don't feel, you know, angry about it. You know, it's nothing personal. I don't, like, intend to throw shade at a particular person. It's just the nature of, you know, uh, rational deliberation over issues that matter to us. I remember this question from my ethics teacher. A Hindu, a Christian, a Jew, and a Tao, yeah, a Taoist, go inside a bar and have a good time. The question is, how is that they all agree? Or, like, how is that they are all friends with each other? The point there is, they respect each other. They know they have their own ways on how they believe and on what they believe in. But the fact there is, you don't see that as a flaw. Just because other people have a different mindset doesn't mean they're wrong, right? It's all about respect. Yeah. Well, I'd like, though, to encourage you, Josh, to elevate that belief further and in fact not just to you know have respect for somebody of a different belief but also to have the intellectual humility to admit that we could be wrong and yes that's also number one that's a virtue that i don't see much especially these days when people are Mm -hmm. so people are so bent on, on on embracing what they believe is right you know this is right that ergo, you're wrong. You know, this is what's moral. Ergo, you are immoral. Okay? This is the political affiliation that I'm part of. Ergo, the one that you are, that you belong to, it, it's problematic. Okay? You know, you should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, I hope there's a space in our minds wherein we could actually admit the possibility that we could be wrong in that it, it may be possible to also accommodate two contradicting beliefs and you know forces at the same time. That's actually my challenge for everybody. And I think if every single person in, in the world decides to take a step back, tone down the temperature, and entertain the possibility of being erroneous, being wrong, then it, the world will be a better place. And social media different how would you like as someone who has never been to los baños which is me how would you describe to me what's it like living in los baños with what you've written in your essay and what we've talked about all this time how would you describe living in los baños you know in just in in just one simple world word world (laughs) and just one word how would you describe living in los baños oh my god okay yeah i have one word and it's another word uh it could be another word uh for the day for you i the word is bucolic Okay, bucolic. Say it with yeah. me, listeners. Bucolic. <laughs> okay, what does that yeah, mean? Sorry, I'm an English teacher. Okay, so something that gives some rural vibes, right? Yeah. Oh. Provincial, uh, you know, there's the, the provincial wind. Uh, you know what? In my 20s, uh, I would work. I would do several jobs in, in NCR, in that part of the bubble. <laughs> and, uh, you know what? I came back, nothing beats the rural life. I might I might not snatch yeah. that term from you though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I might snatch that term. Like I think I think some yes, people yes, will now say I'm a bucolic guy. I'm a bucolic <laughs> girl. What's what's that in Filipino? Provinciano ako. 
I'm a proud bucolic. I might yeah. snatch that again. I might put that on my Instagram bio. Bucolic. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Just don't confuse it with bubonic because that's a different story. Now that's a different yeah. thing. Bubonic yeah. is the plague. Yeah, yeah. You're right. not a rat. Especially, yeah. <laughs> Especially within an, in an era of, of plagues, right? Yeah. So that's a problem. Yeah. That's actually a cute joke. I'm bubonic. <laughs> Why? Be- I'm bubonic. Why? Because I'm a rat. I'm always in my room. I'm always in the corner and we're living in a plague. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that, that's smart. Okay. Yeah. That, that's some oh, work there. It's nice how how the minds of people work in this pandemic already. <laughs> oh, yeah. How, you know, what was the greatest lesson you learned from this experience? Oh, from writing that essay? Actually, there, there, you know, there's one that is that I could write that I, that you know, I still see my, myself as I still have feelings of inadequacy as a writer even at this age of 31, and that's why I'm taking a PhD in creative writing at UP Diliman. And looking back on that, on that year when, you know, my very first published article came out alongside, and I said this earlier, alongside my the, the column of my writing hero, Conrado de Quiros. Like, I know you're young, uh, Josh, but let me tell you, he's the best inquirer columnist ever. <laughs> Greatest of all time. You should check out his articles, read it. Uh, it's in the archives of, of the inquirer. Um, I think the, the Don't Mess Up LP essay was a symbol for me that I, I could do it. It's a, it reminds me that I could do it as, as a writer. I think it's it's an encouraging it was an encouraging piece of work for me. Encouraging even to this day. That there's this promising young guy uh, who could produce words that, that can move, that can influence, that can even provoke. Uh, and I think that's a theme that will continue on to my future writings as well. And that's the great thing about literature. Like, if you can make the thing about literature is that it withstands time. Like, you know, just like what I mentioned, next year your essay is turning ten years old. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, Josh, I admire those who submitted their articles uh, to Young Blood. I mean, people from before, because they, despite I can imagine the reservations and the anxieties of these young writers, but like myself would wonder how would my own piece be received by by the public and the fact that they pull the trigger by hitting that send button right to, to your editors the fact that there was this conscious decision to 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 put the work out there and get vulnerable i think it's already heroic in a sense because you're exposed by exposing your work you're exposing yourself and the contents of your heart, uh, I think that's a, I think that that's some act of courage, and so I'd like to encourage the, the young writers to actually keep writing, and I'd like to encourage myself to strive <laughs> to strive on towards uh, more writing. Let's all write together. You know, Linus, this has been a great discussion so <laughs> far. From two English, I'm an English major student. You're an English major professor, and you know this. 
ang obvious we both have so many opinions and stuff and you know i wish this conversation would, like go on like i think this is better discussed over coffee <laughs> right yeah or yeah, well, you know a few margaritas on the side <laughs> i'll be meeting you guys after this pandemic for sure i hope so but you know for you know just to conclude this podcast this podcast episode what are you actually looking forward to the most right now God, uh, I have a quick answer to that. My my first book, uh, my first book, which is a memoir of uh, about the evolution of my beliefs in my twenties. So I can't wait. Uh, what I'm grateful for for my PhD program is that it will force me to write it <laughs> because sometimes I get lazy. It will force me to write it because it's my dissertation. So um, once it, you know, but it's gonna be difficult because it's personal. It's a memoir after all. Each chapter will be about a person uh, close to my life or even a person I have not met but who influenced my thinking. And I'm addressing that person uh, with, a, yeah, with a second person uh, plural form, singular form. Uh, yeah, making confessions and uh, reflections, invoking some theories, philosophies here and there. It's going to be a crazy ride, that book. So I hope when it comes out, uh, I get some support from you guys. <laughs> oh, we will. You can count on that. Yeah, you can yeah. count on that support, definitely. We hope for the best. Yes, yes. Thank you. We hope for the best. It will be pretty you provocative. Know, it will be pretty provocative. <laughs> it will be. It will be. And we're hoping for that. You know, Linus... Thank you so much for today's episode. I really hope that your book becomes a great hit. And, you know, this yeah. article right here is very, very, very timeless. Um, you know, before formally ending this episode, you know, any last words for our, you know, viewers out there and listeners on Spotify? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, thank you for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, thanks for this opportunity, Josh. Uh, your team, Youngblood, the Philippine Daily Inquirer. I appreciate that the Inquirer actually provided a platform for young voices to be heard for several years, and um, and how noble of that from 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 the publication because who is going to take over anyway in the next generation but us? Okay, so our voices do matter. We're not just you know we're not just on 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 the margins of the conversations in politics, in religion, society health and fitness, beauty, whatever have you, our voices always do matter. That's all, and take care, everybody. And that's it for today's episode of the Youngblood Podcast. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and check out our other episodes. Feel free to drop in the comment section your suggestions on what we should feature on our next episodes. Follow our official social media accounts on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you guys for listening. I am your host, Joshua Onsai. Till next time. Bye!